cliffcentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. How are you, anarchist? Um, very, very well. In the south of Africa, uh, every day is there's a bit of anarchy to to behold. Um, yeah, it's a great place to be. Yeah. How are you, um, doctor? <laughs> oh, jeez, listen to that, eh? I'm getting a little bit of respect this week. Um, yeah, I can't complain. Yeah, middle of winter, it's not too bad. Could we have it worse? I mean, I mean, doctor, as in Deepak Chopra is a doctor as well. <laughs> this is true. This is true. This is true. I could be a quack for all you know. Um, right. So, should we get on with it? Right. And please just excuse me. I've got sinus, and Jonathan just breathes heavily naturally. So, oh yeah, it's we so must, it's so me. <laughs> we must just deal with it. Right. Uh, all right. So this week. Uh, our guest is Candice Holdsworth. Uh, Candice is a UK-based freelance writer and editor. She edits the blog Imagine, uh, Imagine Athena and has written articles on culture, current affairs for Sparked, The Spectator, and The Times Literary Supplement. So uh, without further ado, uh, we've got her on, uh, on Skype. Uh, Candice, can you hear us? All right. Uh, just give me one second. I need to adjust your levels. Uh, go again. Hello, how are you? Uh, we're good. Always well, Candice. Well, thank you for, for making the time to, to be with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. So, I mean, I understand that you're uh, one of those white people that, uh, <laughs> that moved away from, from this land. Oh, just shameless, shameless. Yeah, and, and you've also got a dog, um, which we <laughs> might hear in the background. I mean, completely unacceptable. That I'm obsessed with and that I humanize and I've given a very human name as well. Which is? Beatrix. 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 I don't know if any human should be afflicted with that name, actually. <laughs> yeah, let alone a dog. Goodness gracious. So, Candice, um, so you're a writer uh, by profession. That is your chosen profession. What do, what do you... Claim. You claim to be a writer. <laughs> um, what, um, what do you write about? Generally, like, what are your your interests? Yeah, well, my interests at the moment, uh, I suppose, are. I mean, I don't mean to be crude about it; it's such a it's such a kind of cliched word, but being anti PC at the moment, and um, just kind of trying to break through this like very thick politically correct barrier, which I think blocks off um, people from talking honestly to each other in public discourse. I mean, I think we've all seen it. You know. We were very involved with the um, the recent thing with the roads must fall into Kozo Kwabe and that waitress. And so many people were afraid to criticize that because they were afraid of seeming racist. We have well, no, we have no idea to... what you're talking about. Uh, no idea. Never no. heard of him. Never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to break through those barriers. I want to break through these barriers that, you know, prevent people from just speaking honestly and speaking their minds because I think it's, it's become a real problem. All right. So... Um... You you would describe yourself as a feminist, is that uh, fair to say? Uh, yes, rabid, rabid feminist. <laughs> All right, uh, but so what do you? Let's let's go there first. What do you see as problems with sort of um, feminism right now? What some people might refer to as third wave feminism, um, uh, in comparison to feminism, which was uh, very reasonable and um, 
quite necessary actually um, in the 20th century in terms of getting real equality for women uh, from voting rights right up to equal opportunities for jobs, etc. So what, yeah. where, are, where are the issues today? Um, and maybe you can give us your opinion on where we've gone wrong. Yes, I think that's very good. I think it's a very good characterization because I think, yes, at one point feminism was necessary. Um, with the, maybe possibly the first and second waves, um, although I think second wave feminism was starting to mutate into the third wave feminism, which mm. we see now, which I think doesn't empower women. I think it encourages women to feel like victims. Um, the suffragettes, for instance, were all about women feeling proud of who they were and going out there and participating in public life. Feminism of today... <laughs> They want, they want women to become passive wards of the state. Um, they don't want women to go out there and to um, change things and to make something of themselves. They depict them as constant victims of men, constant victims of the patriarchy. Mm. Um, I think there's a few reasons for that. I mean, I think one of the big reasons is that possibly second wave feminism didn't always respect the choices that women made. Um, for instance, that maybe a lot of women don't want high-powered careers. They would rather have children, focus on the family. They also have to deal with biological constraints that maybe men don't, you know, having babies, leaving work, all that sort of thing. And it's maybe prevented women from progressing as far as they would like. So instead of just recognizing that it's simple biology, they have to look for, for something, maybe some conspiracy that's preventing women from, from progressing. So they, they look at, at men, patriarchy, some sort of like institutional sexism. And so I think that's, that's where third wave feminism has gone very wrong. Um, don't know if you followed the case of the, the scientist. It was the shirt storm fiasco. Did you follow that? Yeah, I, I did. The, he was the guy who helped land and I, I forget the name of the aircraft, but he yeah. helped land the, um, the spaceship onto a meteorite or a meteor, yes. um, or an asteroid, I, I forget. Uh, and essentially he wore this shirt uh, that showed like a kind of anime uh, or manga-type cartoon woman on it, um, dressed quite provocatively, I think. Um, yes. And that was taken to be a sexist shirt. Uh, yes. And there was a huge sort of furor about it. He works for the European Space Agency. He's literally a rocket scientist. Yes, yes. And there was this huge backlash against him that just because a man like that wears a shirt like that, it could actually prevent women from entering into science. That a shirt could do that. Yeah. I mean, that was a shirt actually can take away all your agency. Oh my God. I mean, for me, that was just, that was it. I mean, that was the last straw for me. And I thought, okay, you know, I have to start really arguing against this because this is absurd. This is saying that women are so weak that a shirt would put them off pursuing a career in science. And it was taken seriously. He was forced yeah. to apologize in tears on television. Yeah, and, and, and it came out, I mean, as it always does, you know, that, that there was nothing sexist about this man in the least. Uh, <laughs> in fact, his, his female colleagues only had nice things to say about him. Well, uh, he had, that shirt was created by a female colleague of his as a gift. But it's also manifested in uh, a tweet by Christina Hobbs Summers, who's a, who's a great academic feminist, and she says, "Ladies, if you want if you want the gender gap not to exist, uh, drop out of gender studies and go study STEM, STEM exactly. degrees." Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, I was saying that women make different choices, but it's also it's true. It's things like that. It's, you know, women women maybe aren't doing those sorts of degrees. You know, they're not doing degrees in mechanical engineering and, and etc. You know. Um, 
and I think that 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 feminists um, who we've discussed, the sorts of feminists who believe that there's some sort of conspiracy theory, often fudge that data and they kind of mix everyone in together without looking very carefully at, okay, what sort of degrees are men doing and what sort of degrees are women doing? Mm. Or they they even falsify data. I mean, it's a separate issue. We'll get onto it a little bit later because I want to stay on this um, sort of biology type thing. But in terms of fudging data, we know campus rape data in the U.S. has been completely uh, falsified, essentially. The one in four one in five uh, is, is complete absurd. is complete rubbish. Um, but uh, just staying on the biology thing, why is it that, in your opinion, we seem to have such an issue with the f- with difference? Um, I, I raise this quite often uh, in terms of difference between cultures, difference uh, um, between uh, males and females. Um, we had a recent discussion with uh, an evolutionary psychologist who who wow. again said who who, who looks at these types of things um you know why we choose things as humans um just as humans or as males versus females etc um we we seem to be wanting to say men and women are the same and men and women are not the same and that's an okay thing that's actually a good thing Uh, in fact i would argue that we got to this point as a species because men and women are not the same um so what's your opinion on why there's such an aversion to our difference I mean, I don't know where it comes from precisely, but I mean, the way in which it manifests is, is very true. I mean, it almost seems, feminists to me almost seem to hate femininity. They, they, they hate the whole concept of, of being feminine and, and they seem to want to just obliterate it. Um, I think possibly it's to do with very utopian ideas of what, what humans can achieve. Um, they just want men and women to be um, uh, eternally malleable, maybe to fit their ideology. Um, that there is no real difference between men and women. And if you took away the societal constructs, men and women would just be exactly the same. I don't know where it comes from precisely. I don't want to psychoanalyze it too much. But um, I do think that there was something very negative that started emerging in the, in the 20th century, which, which kind of disrespected women as wives and mothers. Um, and, and, they, that, and also men as, as providers as well. Yeah. Um, so the idea that 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 there's something uh, to be looked down upon, uh, you know, you're not yes. good enough if you're a mother, you must be the yes. CEO of a company as well, or or that exactly. that is valued higher, and the belief that men were valued higher because they were the CEOs and not not the sort of caregivers, that kind of yes. construct. It's very strange because you see the early um, suffragette posters where they were calling for for women to to have the franchise. And one of the arguments they would make for that is that we are mothers. So they were very proud of the fact that they were mothers and they thought that that uniquely qualified you to participate in public life. But then for some reason, um, possibly, you know, uh, an unintended outcome of, of Betty Friedan's the, the Feminine Mystique, people started looking down upon that as a choice. That actually, no, you're not quite fully developed. You haven't reached your full potential if you've chosen to be a mother. Yeah, they, they tend to label women who make those choices for themselves as like you know the purveyors of patriarchy. They 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 yes. they, they they don't know what's good for them. So we will tell them. And being a mother, <laughs> which is a biological function, is somehow is somehow terrible uh, as a woman as a choice that you make because, in essence, it's not really your choice. In air quotes, it's you know the patriarchy's choice for you. Yeah, which, which is which is odd. Uh, I mean, as we're very big on agency here, individual rights and individual freedoms. I'm very happy for women to be mothers. If they want to, if that's what they want to be, let them be mothers. Well, who am I to say, no, you can't be a mother? It's odd. Exactly. They can't have it both ways. You can't, you can't 
depicts women at, at the same time as, as victims and as empowered. I mean, how, how are women going to become these, these very fully developed, you know, CEOs of companies when you say they're victims all the time? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a contradiction that, that, that hasn't been resolved. So in, in response to third wave feminism, like what, what do you see as, as the role of feminism in, if I may say, a classical sense? In the way that you want to empower women, I mean, I assume that you do. Yes. And how do you, about, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, you know, I think possibly in the, the earlier 20th century that, you know, there was, you know, perhaps women didn't also see themselves in that way. They didn't think, well, I shouldn't really be involved in public life. You know, I'm involved in the domestic realm. Um, although they had something to really contribute um, there was a, you did kind of have to raise consciousness in that way. Like, look, you can do this. You know, women are capable of doing this. Um, nowadays, I think it's, it's very difficult. I mean, you know, in what ways are not Western women in particular, in what ways are they not empowered? In what ways are they not encouraged to do things? Um, yes. you know, I think you should always give women a choice, but you can't leave men out of that. Men also need to be encouraged well, to do things. Well, it's an interesting thing that you say because um, I think we might <laughs> reference her a couple of times. But Christina Hoff Summers talks about this. Um, you know, she she would hardly call herself a men's rights activist, and I think that that is uh, as ridiculous as third wave feminism. Um, but she does speak about how young males in the USA are being marginalised because yes. of this sort of uh, modern kind of feminist theory. Um, and actually, uh, if you wanted to find some sort of equality, they've completely, um, or equity, they've completely overshot the mark. Uh, yes. And now uh, it's very difficult for males to actually get ahead. So um, yeah, no. the, the sort of oppression scale is being uh, reversed, but it hasn't been kind of picked up on it. And it's, it's almost an acceptability. So if you, if it's, well, it's tough for little Billy to get into a certain, uh, class or, or to do a certain thing. And that's okay. Cause little Billy's a male. He must just kind of get over it. Exactly. I mean, it, I mean, all the data shows at the moment in the UK where I am, that the, the group of people who are actually doing the worst are white working class boys. And that's just being ignored. I mean, it's a scandal. It's an absolute scandal. Um, and I think it's also because of the way that we, we have this sort of like dematerialized view of life now that, that we stop looking at class and the fact that, yes, you know, working class boys are going to have challenges um, in getting ahead, but we've just ignored that and we're only looking at things like gender. But hang on a moment. Uh, a middle class girl is she going to have a worse time at getting ahead than a boy who's born into absolute poverty? That doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. And if you look at the data in um, in the U.S. as well, if you look at outcomes in terms of, uh, you know, university entrance, university um, degrees, females are outstripping males by uh, quite quite a way, and it's been it's been that way for for a number of years now. So, yes. the feminist the feminist project has won. It has worked. Uh, to some degree, I, mean, I don't know about the quality of the degree they they have. I don't know if the data, you know, said. Yes. I, don't, I don't know how many women go into engineering, for example. But but once again, based on gender, we know that 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 you know choices that men and women make are different. But you know, based on interests that women generally have, they want to make complete generalizations. But it's true, um, yeah. and and choices that men generally have. What what do you make of? Um, 
when uh, you know a four or five or six year old tells mom and dad, "I'm not a boy, I'm a girl." Um, and uh, mom and dad actually go along with that because I don't know if you've seen that this has happened a, a little bit uh, in in the US, and I think there was even a case in the UK. And we seem to just have uh, dropped uh, dropped that call. Uh, we're going to get Candace back right away. Okay, we've uh, got uh, Candace back on the line. Sorry, I was just making that point, uh, and Ramon, as we went off, said to me, well. Yeah, it's not really feminism, and I agree. But in terms of this, uh, maybe we can get into it a little bit. In terms of uh, this gender fluid kind of concept, uh, as, if an adult decides that, eh, fine. Um, but when children do it, and their parents kind of support it at age five, when kids have magical thinking, we know this about children. Right. Um, thoughts on thoughts on that kind of stuff? Well, I think fourth wave feminists have pounced on it. They've, they've really pounced on it. It's kind of a way of proving their political theories that gender's fluid. Well, they try and, and prove it. Um, I think it's dangerous. I think I think it's wrong to use children as instruments to serve their political theories. Um, you know, how could you know? You'll get a child maybe who doesn't, who isn't like all the other girls, or isn't like all the other boys. You know, maybe is a bit more feminine or masculine. Yeah, that's normal. That happens. We've all yeah. been friends with people like that growing mm. up. But I mean, I think it's very, very wrong to then come along and tell that child, no, 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 you're just, you're, you're trapped in the wrong body, you're actually a woman or you're actually a man, and then to take them through surgery. And I think that's terrifying, actually. I don't know if you know the um, the thinker Camille Paglia. Have you encountered yeah, yeah, her? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, she's great. And yeah, she great. was saying very similar, similar thing, actually. She said, well, you know, when she was a little girl, you know, she was kind of like that. She used to like dressing up in boys' clothes. She used to dress up as Napoleon. And Tomboys. Like I that. mean, my, my, yes. my first cousin, who, who's, a, who's, a, who's a woman now, we were boy and girl playing together as kids, and, and she was a, very much a tomboy. Well, yeah, we all know it. I mean, it's there. Um, she said if she'd been a little girl now... And she'd heard about all this gender reassignment surgery. She probably would have. She would have taken it. She would have been like, "Yes," and it would have been the wrong decision for her. Um, yeah, I think. I think, and I also think as well. Um, there's, there's a contradiction in this, a philosophical contradiction, because um, they're they're kind of reinforcing reinforcing notions of binary gender because they're saying, "Well, you can't be kind of fluid, and you can't be a bit in between. You have to be one or the other." So if you don't feel like a typical man, well, then you must be a woman. The absolute opposite. So, yeah. There was a famous... Sorry. Go ahead, Kenneth. No, it's okay. I was just going to say I don't like it. Oh, right. There's a very famous case in the 1950s by Professor Money. Uh, who, a child was born with deformed genitalia, and I think it, I think it was a male. Right. And, and he decided to, to unilaterally to, to create a, a vagina out of the deformed penis uh, yes. of this child. And this child was raised as a girl for, yes. for years and years and years. And this child could never, ever understand why it didn't feel like a girl. It just didn't have any uh, attributes of, of femininity or, or characteristics of being a girl at all. And then only later in his life, I can't remember the, the name of the, of the kid, but only later in his life, he found out about his story and had surgery to transform, so to speak, back into a male. And that was the first case where, where we saw that yeah, it's a bit, gender's a bit biological, people. It's not, it's not, it's not fluid. It's not how you feel on a particular day. It's yeah. biology. It's, um, yeah. it's hard science. There's actually a lot of cases like that where, um, there's, there's a few films on YouTube actually about kids who, yeah, they've been 
born with deformed genitalia, like you were saying, mm. and the doctors have just said, okay, it's fine, just bring them up as a man or a woman. And it's never worked. It's no. never, ever, ever worked. No, not at all. Um, so, I mean, let's get to, to another thing about feminism. More, more identity politics, but it, it, it you know, runs through feminism as well. It's about the personal being political. So it's identity politics, and it's about you know, an, an oppression scale, and depending on all sorts of variables or biological variables, you are on a certain point on the oppression scale. So white male, patriarchy, you like right at the bottom. You're not oppressed at all. Um, black, transgendered female in a wheelchair, massively <laughs> oppressed, right? Um, so, I mean, it's, it's from the Frankfurt School of what they called Frankfurt School of Business. Uh, these like, uh, yeah. egg, like these commies, you know, who, who had yeah. Yeah, who, who invaded like, invaded the West with basically Marxist uh, ideology. Yeah, yes. I mean, they, they, lo- they love they love communism, but not the economic side of it. So they created social communism in a way. Yes, they didn't believe they could win the economic argument. Well, the First World War proved that they couldn't, because all the yeah. workers of the world united and went to go fight for the country that so called oppressed them. Um, that's what they're trying to try to break down. They tried to break down that sense of, of loyalty to one's country. A loyalty to one country, but loyalty to, to a lot of other things, to the family unit, to, to the society you're born in, to your religion. So all these, all these so-called structures of society were deemed very oppressive to people. Yes. And, and feminism has taken that and just, you know, ran full steam ahead with it. Yes. Whereas, but only for Western women though. True. Very, very, true. very, very little is written about sex slaves under ISIS. Or, you know, uh, there was a story two weeks ago, 19 women were burnt alive by yes. ISIS. Or, or, or females in Islamic countries in general. Uh, yeah, I think that one was actually Nigeria. Um, I think that was a, it was Boko Haram or something. It doesn't matter. It's the same ideology pushing it. Um, but the question is, I mean, these are the most oppressed people on, in the world. And yes. they are women. And yes. no one seems to care. Well, no one in feminism appears to care and and james do you have an idea why that is because i I don't really understand it i'm not sure i think it maybe comes from cultural relativism as well i mean it's possibly the politics of different skin colors um because there are women in in western countries who are being uh killed uh there's a big problem with honor killings in uh the uk possibly the us as well you know you'll find uh, muslim women who are being absolutely terrorized by their own families yeah. for doing something they don't want them to do yeah. and they've actually they'll go to the authorities in their in in western society and ask for help and they'll be ignored um and they'll be told it's a community issue they should just <laughs> deal with it yeah um yeah i think it's a kind of there's, there's this cultural relativism that's, that's infected so, western societies yeah. I think, I mean, I think you, you nailed it with that in terms of relativism. Relativism. I mean, you know, so the, the whole identity politics looks to side with who is, you know, the oppression Olympics type thing. So uh, the feminists will side with the brown people because the brown people yes. are oppressed. Uh, the brown people happen to have a religion that is completely anti-feminism, but um, they're siding with them based on their oppression as brown people uh, or poor people, or people from war-ravaged countries, etc., etc., uh, supersedes the need to um, uh, criticize uh, their ideological beliefs, which persecute women wholesale. Yes, and yeah, in a way, tacitly endorsing it, without even realizing they're doing that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just a huge contradiction. In fact, in fact, I don't think it's always tacit. Um, I, I've, I've noticed that a, a lot of commentators in, in the public uh, arena... Um, will argue 
for that ideology, they don't necessarily, they, they don't, they don't sort of go and say, I argue that you should be able to beat your, your wife if she disobeys you. They don't say it that way, but they turn around and go, that's not true when it patently is. And then yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll kind of defend, defend, you know, uh, countries that, that, that believe in oppressing women. It's just part yes. of, of, of their day to day life. Yes, yeah, they, absolutely, they do. They completely box themselves into a corner. Um, if they poured half the effort they do into, I don't know, um, vetching on Twitter, I think that they could solve so many problems. I mean, they really, really could. I mean, they just seem to be in the West, you know, getting into ever, ever more trivial spaces mm. like T-shirts when there are actual real problems so, which if they all got together and tried to tackle they could but they won't so so i mean i think you know we we talk about uh, you know we talk about the west uh, we we were speaking about the us the uk but if we bring it back to south africa we've got similar problems because we've got feminists here who um buy into the same type of thing call it globalization of of ideas i suppose uh, yes. and uh, they buy into the same the same illogical ideology and right at home sometimes just kilometers from where these people live we have similar issues of oppression of women based on tribalism uh, uh oppression of women uh based on sometimes on religion uh, well, uh on, on their sexuality as well yeah, yeah on, on absolutely on their sexuality um uh yeah so killing of of, of lesbians yeah. uh, and and um corrective rape uh, you know, these are, are real issues that we actually do have, and they're highly oppressive to women. Uh, and unfortunately, this virtue signaling or whatever you would call it. Exactly. Uh, well, they worry about words on, on Twitter, right? They're worried about a song, or they're, they're worried about blurred lines by whoever the singer is. You know, they're worried <laughs> about, they're worried about the most menial things, um, which is, which is really odd. But here's another thing about feminism, which, which I, find a bit distressing it's it's completely anti-intellectual yes because we we know quite well how to make women how to have an equal society in a way or a, a wealthy society is the, the economic and education of women so economic emancipation of women contraception and education so if you educate women very, very well, and you allow them to be in the job market and then gain skills. Yep. That's how you make a society thrive. Not so much yep. men, because men have been doing it for years and we understand why. But, I mean, Oprah has a thing going in, in the south of Joburg with a, a school and they only accept women. And people are like, oh, that's sexist. I say, no, no, no. It's completely, it's completely, completely legitimate. Mm. Because all the data shows that if you educate women, yeah. Extremely well. The whole society around well, them. Improves. In terms of, in terms of birth rates, in terms of domestic violence, in terms of, of AIDS, in terms of so many factors. Yeah. All those negative factors are reduced. But, yes. but feminism doesn't talk about that at all. No. They, they don't understand economics. No, I think it's true though. I think, I think feminism has become profoundly anti-intellectual. I and mean, it's lacking in intellectual courage, like we were just talking about with all these things, these real problems that it just, it refuses to look at. But then as well, it's, it's, yeah, it doesn't look at it. it. It tries to boil everything down in the whole world, the very complex world, into these like very simplistic um, uh, dynamics between men and women where, where men are just the, the constant um, uh, antagonists of women. Um, yeah, it doesn't seem to be about self-improvement in any way or any sort of empowerment of women. It's, it's, yeah, I think it's lapsed into complete conspiracy theorizing, actually. 
No, it is. It's, it's, a, like, it's a bit of a cult. It's a cult. It's a cult. Yeah, and it's it's one. I mean, as an intellectual, you should always be. Um, you should always have, have independence. I mean, you know, you, you should you should really try to avoid groupthink. Um, you should be able to stand apart from your peers and look at their ideas and criticize them. Um, that's what an intellectual does. I mean, that's how we improve as a society. Um, but that that doesn't seem to be be the case with with feminism right now. I mean, it, it just seems to be about the formation of, of echo chambers and and virtue signaling. Um, they don't seem to want to engage in real dialectic or real dialogue. You know, anyone who disagrees with them um, must be a misogynist and and must be doing it for the absolute worst possible reasons. Yeah, and uh, we've made this point repeatedly. The minute you put out one of the big words, uh, racist, misogynist, bigot, uh, it's almost for me you've lost the argument. Uh, unless you've got evidence that comes before that word. Um, yes. That isn't just I disagree with you, therefore you're a racist or a misogynist or a bigot or a racist, misogynist, bigot. Um, yes. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit uh, about um, the sort of rape um, statistics um, that we see coming out of the states. We we luckily yes. haven't had any of that uh, too much on this in the South African context. Although we do actually have a much larger rape problem in this country, yes. probably yeah. than something like the US, the UK, and parts of Europe. Although. Um, you know, Sweden and, and, and Denmark and Germany even are now starting to experience these issues. Um, for, yes. I think probably for different reasons. Um, but th th there's been this, um, idea peddled, uh, in the U.S. of, uh, one in four women, uh, and they, they backpedaled a little bit and then said one in five on uh, American college campuses, uh, have been raped. Um, which was based on just for the listeners that don't know, and, and guys, I highly recommend listening to shows like the Rubin Report. Um, even uh, Milo's show actually also goes into this uh, on occasion, um, whereby essentially that study was a study, this open study, um, which wasn't done with a very large group of people. Firstly, so statistically, it is a problem with with the data, um, and then. Uh, the questions they asked were kind of if you'd ever been touched uh, inappropriately or what you thought to be touched inappropriately. Um, so they didn't say like they didn't give a, a specific example. They just said, look, do you feel you've ever been touched inappropriately? And, you know, would you kind of they then categorize that as rape, essentially. Um, so, of course, the data came out. Pretty much anyone whose leg was touched when they felt the leg shouldn't have been touched had been yes. raped, but it basically is, is what the data is, is, is pointing to. Um, that has now been taken to, you know, amplified by the media mm. uh, very much and to the point that uh, when, when we have uh, issues, when there are issues in the States, um, it becomes worldwide news. Uh, this recent story with, I can't remember his name and he, he doesn't deserve mentioning because he's a despicable human being, but this guy who, who sexually assaulted the woman on, on that campus and was only given uh, six months in the end by the judge. Uh, his father's seem, seemingly his thoughts of his father are just as despicable. Um, but it gets amplified to such an extent that it seems like this is the major problem. Um, and you know what what's your your sort of because obviously rape is despicable so yeah. the issue is we can't have this conversation because the minute i say i don't it's not as big a problem as it's being made out to be um i'm going to be get told i'm a rape apologist 
Yes, yeah. Oh, there's a hysteria around it. I mean, a terrible, terrible hysteria that just prevents common sense from coming through. I mean, just on the face of it, when you hear one in five women are raped on a college campus, it sounds absurd. Um, that would be like a similar level to war-ravaged Congo, as Christina Hoff Summers has said. That would be a similar, similar rape rate. Yeah. Um, I've been to university. Um, are those the sorts of people who are usually in prison for rape? I mean, is that the profile of person who's going around violently raping women? I mean, doesn't doesn't really gel with my own personal experiences. But okay, fine. Look at the data, like you say. Um, they've completely loosened the definition of rape. Um, I think it's wrong. I also think, why are universities presiding over these rape cases? I mean, you'll see in various cases, these men are brought before university administrations accused of rape. But rape is a crime. That should go to the police. Why are the universities doing this? Um, yes, I mean, it's, 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 it's very worrying. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, it's like an echo of the Salem witch trials. Mm. Uh, it's, it's uh, yeah. But if those stats were true, we would see, I'm sure, a huge drop in the number of uh, ladies wanting to join universities. But the opposite is happening. So you've got, you got a rape center in every town, but then somehow the, the women registration rate keeps creeping up. That That's a very good point. Well, I mean, that is child, so right? I mean, unless they're complete sadists, well, it, which I don't think. It was insane. Same argument about rape culture. So we're told, you know, we have a rape culture, but uh, in the West, as, at least, women are have never been more free than they are now to walk around, yes. dress as they please, do as they please, um, be involved in any kind of activities that they want. Um, yes. But we've, we're told that the rape culture is, you know, we have a rape culture which is kind of at the peak of what it's ever <laughs> been. Um, it, it doesn't yeah. – those two facts don't seem to line up. No, they don't. And you can just get to that through reason without even looking at data. Um, absolutely. I mean, if, if, there was, if there was this huge rape culture problem on college campuses, women would avoid them. Why would you go somewhere where you thought that or you and probably lots of people you know would be raped? I mean, it's absurd. It's an absolute absurdity. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, I think it's quite scary, though. I mean, you know, there was that case of that... Um, Boy, what was his name? Do you remember Mattress Girl? What was, how do you pronounce uh, his surname? Yeah. Emily Rakosowski, I don't know. It sounds yeah, like a yeah. Polish surname. Yeah, tell, yeah. It, tell for the listeners that don't know the story, just tell the quick background on that. Yeah, so there was a, a famous case a few, uh, a couple of years ago now where a girl who went to Columbia University, she was an art student, uh, she claimed she'd been raped by a, a friend of hers and then uh, went to the university about it, and the university completely let her down, apparently, and let this boy off. So she decided to um, devise an art project that explored this, this very traumatic experience that she'd undergone called Carry That Weight. So she was, said she was very upset, um, and she'd been raped, and she had to carry that, that round with her. Um, so she carried a mattress around Columbia University campus. It was like a performance art piece. Uh, it was huge. It exploded. It went all over the place. Uh, people were just congratulating her, telling her what a brave person she was. Uh, and this boy was just, I mean, he was completely demonized. The supposed rapist. I mean, his name emerged. Um, it turned out his name was Paul Nungesser. His, his name's all over the Internet now. 
Um, and um, he was treated as an absolute pariah, and this girl was just treated as a, as a brave victim, and just all the usual notions of justice, presumed innocence before proven guilt, which mm. was thrown out the window. Yeah, and his life was destroyed. He was destroyed. I mean, you know, the rest of the time, on I mean, he could barely complete his degree because everyone just was accusing him of being a, an evil rapist. Um, and everyone just believed her testimony. Just because she said it was true, people believed her. Um, it was it was really, it was an appalling case, a really, really appalling case. And, I mean, it's not uncommon. I mean, I think that, that there have been various cases like this where the, the victim's testimony is taken as absolute um, and the, the accused is, is, is just presumed guilty. Which, which is why, as you say, uh, the correct uh, sort of port of call would be the police and the law. Uh, yes. And you need to let the law take its course. And um, if someone is found guilty by a court, then they are guilty. And, and that, you know, that's how civilized society works. Yes, um, yes. We don't find people guilty on social media. No. Well, you see why these institutions were developed. You can see why we have to constantly keep re- reinforcing um, those sorts of like very essential bedrock notions of the judicial, the justice system. Um, because otherwise, yes, you'll get absolute, you'll get witch hunts, you'll get lynchings. I mean, obviously on, on Twitter, it's just, it's all verbal. It's not real. Um, it's not, it's not physical, but, um. I, I like the word. It's not real. <laughs> We've had it said before <laughs> and, and it's, it's an important distinction. <laughs> yeah. Um, but with this boy, this Paul Nungesser in Columbia University had very real ramifications for his life. It really did. It ruined his life. Uh, there have been one or two cases here, which is similar. Uh, there was the head of the Oxford Union who was accused of rape, and it was just it was believed to be true. It was quite a shameful incident in which uh, you know various celebrities, public thinkers, even refused to go and speak at the Oxford Union because he had been accused of rape. It was like a, an accusation as a, con- as a as a conviction. Um, there was another guy a few years ago who was pretty much terrorized by the Crown Prosecution Service, accused of assaulting a woman in King's Cross, even though video evidence proved beyond a doubt yeah. that he couldn't have done it. Her testimony was just given so much weight that even though there was not a shred of physical evidence that he'd done it, he was still taken to court. Um, which and the, the case was dismissed, I think, within record time, within a few, within an hour. Because there was no evidence, um, yeah. but it just goes to show how that thinking has even um, infected infected parts of, of the legal system. You know, this this belief that there is this rampant rape culture, that women are victims, um, and that they must always be believed. Well, a good example of that are the footballers. So you got one is called Chad Evans, and Chad the other, Evans, yeah. and the other one is called Adam Johnson. So Chad Evans went to prison for two years, I believe. For, for, yeah. I mean, the sentence was five years for, for sexual assaulting or, no, I think it was sexual assault of a woman. Okay. He argued it was consensual and they were both drunk. She argued, yeah. no, he was the one that was drunk and she couldn't fight him off. On appeal, five years later, his, her case, well, the, the case of rape was dismissed against him despite him being in prison for two years for it. Yes. And even now, even though the case has been dismissed, every time a football club says, well, we, we're interested in signing Chad Evans because he's a good footballer. They get demonized publicly, even though the, the, the court, the justice system said, um, you know, this, this rape claim was not mm-hmm. false, but we just couldn't prove it. So there's, there's a difference mm-hmm. there. But now Adam Johnson, who played for Sunderland, I believe, he was accused of assaulting a 15-year-old girl in his Range Rover. But now he's in prison for six years. 
Um, yes. So, so that shows that the law is actually doing its job in yes. both of them. Yes. Um, I mean, the one went to prison for six years, the other one went to prison for two years, but on appeal was overturned. Yes. So the law knows how to do its job. Um, why won't we let it? I know. Why, why are we letting university campuses develop parallel legal systems um, where, you know, people's lives are ruined? I mean, this is a serious thing. Also, I mean, I don't want to be cruel, but, you know, I've seen interviews with some of these women who've claimed to be sexually assaulted. I mean, there's one with, with Mattress Girl where when the woman, when she's being interviewed and the person who's interviewing her talks about her rape, she even starts laughing. Which I find very strange. Um, you know, if it's such a serious traumatic thing, surely you'd want to take it as far as possible. Why would you be just, you know, going to the university administration and wanting your rapist to have a... There's something... something they're getting power from it, is what I'm saying. I think yeah. these... these yeah. They're, they're, they're... I, I don't know if you saw... Talking about getting power from it. I don't know if you saw there was an Australian artist recently. I just Googled this uh, quickly to, to just remind myself. Um, by the name of Sophia Hewson. And she um, she set up as a kind of performance art. Um, she set up a camera in her her apartment in New York. Uh, invited a complete stranger over to her apartment to have sex with her. Um, essentially, set it up like that. Didn't really consent in a way, and then uh, uh, sort of put it out as an art piece, uh, which she said was a rape. Um, and as a commentary on the, 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 the societal sort of patriarchy, um, if I, um, it, it's, it's called, it's called, and the piece is called untitled in brackets. Are you okay, Bob? Um, um, she, 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 she says it's a rape representation to encourage debate on the patri- patriarchal nature of sexual violence. But th- this is, this is, for me, this is completely irrational in that, why would you, why would you have sex with like a complete stranger? Like, like, it's like, what is the thinking behind that? Like, like, why would you, like, her argument is that she was raped then. Um, assumptively she didn't report the stranger to the police. I, I don't know how the legal system would actually deal with that. Um, if you invite a man to your house, you let him in, um, and then he has sex with you, but you say, okay, I never kind of consented. Um, I, I don't know where, where the line is on that, but I, I want to, I want to know the sort of mental disability you have to kind of do that, to think that way. Um, um, and to allow that to kind of happen to yourself. Um, and, and, and no, I'm not saying that women are responsible for rape, but in that scenario, if she's claiming that's a rape, she is responsible for that. Uh, finding the man, inviting him to your apartment, uh, letting him in and lying down and saying, you know, take me. Uh, that, that's kind of, <laughs> that is her responsibility. Um, yes. So yes. I, it's, it's, they've pushed the sort of rational limits on this. Oh, they have. Well, I think it's what we were talking about earlier is it's just not intellectual anymore. I mean, that's gone beyond being intellectual. Um, I mean, that's, that's bordering on, on insanity. Uh, it's a very stupid thing that she did. She put herself in enormous danger. Uh, why did she do that? Uh, you know, um, it, may, it makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, it's just uh, an example of the of the sort of irrational irrational thought around the whole rape discussion. Bigger. 
Yeah, it's lack of rigor, lack of absolute rigor. You know, I mean, you can just put an idea forward and, and it's valid just because you say it is and you attach a certain ideological um, uh, bent to it. Yeah, absolutely absurd. But, but let's talk about more about the, the legal repercussions of this because there were a lot of cases, well, not a lot, about three or four, and two, which I'll demonstrate, that, that had this um, hysteria around them. So you had the Duke Lacrosse case and you had Jackie from UVA, University yeah. of, of Virginia. So let's start with Duke Lacrosse. It was a frat house, which is, you know, the, the, the bed of, of patriarchy in, oh, in the U.S. And a lady, I, think, I believe she was a stripper. Yes. Uh, she was paid to, to, have a, to do a strip show and she said she was raped by five of five men. Yes. Um, huge outcry. Everyone, you know, stopped funding the, the, the university, all the, all these okay. men, all the accused were, were you know, taken to prison and ostracized and the people went to their houses and, I don't know, broke, broke things down and death threats were sent. Uh, goes to court and she says, yeah, no, she made it all up. Not one shred yes. of evidence to suggest it was true. No. Same with the Jackie case. So Jackie was um, a lady in Virginia, and the Rolling Stone wrote a huge article about her. And also, same thing, frat house, uh, yeah. party, raped by five or six men, and Rolling Stone put this out. And a whole you know storm came about from the story about, look, look how pervasive rape is on campus. Once again, basic, basic journalistic integrity and fact, you know, fact finding, uh, principles went completely out the window. Nothing yes. could be corroborated with this woman. The people she accused weren't even at the university at the time, or they were at a party across, across town with hundreds of sure. witnesses. Uh, yes. but these two things caused a huge stir. They did. Um, but somehow the police are never called in. The justice system is, is never used. To, to prosecute yeah. people it's, it's, it's all about the narrative It's all about the story yeah. It's all about the oppression of that particular woman Now, yeah. of course We're not saying rape doesn't exist And of course it does We in South Africa, we, we should know But by doing this You're discrediting real, real victims You are, yes I mean, yes, it's true It's exactly like you say It's been tried in the court of public opinion um, It's not treated as a real crime It's just all about flattering your ideological prejudices. Um, in the case of the Duke lacrosse team, I mean, that was, um, you know, that was that was like a serious miscarriage of justice because the, the prosecutor, for his own political advantage, actually uh, ignored and falsified evidence yeah. he, against the team mm. and but took it much further than he should it, have. It's one of the problems with the American justice system is that um, there's elected sort of, uh, you know, there's, there's um, power to be had. Um, from success within yes. the legal system. So if you're a district attorney, if you do well, um, you will rise the ranks. Where And well is convictions. So yes. it gives you an incentive um, in many ways. You can choose not to prosecute cases you might lose. Um, you can uh, be particularly harsh on people where you should maybe be a little bit more lenient. Um, and then um, pushing it to the real extreme, you can do that kind of stuff where you manipulate evidence and, and, and things like that. Yes, yes. So, yeah, that, that's a, it's a big problem. I wanted to ask you because, um, I mean, Roman and I obviously don't watch porn at all. But, um, <laughs> but you know, like most men, we, don't, we, we obviously never, never watch porn. Um, but um, the... the 
the sort of current feminist uh, outlook, the, the, the sort of maniac feminist outlook, I would say, is, you know, porn is oppressive to women. Uh, never mind the fact that many make a good living out of porn and are able to raise their families as a result. Um, yes. uh, porn is oppressive to women and essentially it's uh, a form of rape, um, some have said. Um, what's your, what's your view on, on that, on, on that kind of stance? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I never really delve into that too much, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's very much the Andrea Dworkin view of pornography. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the, um, with her campaigns that she ran in the US in, I think it was the 1970s against the porn industry. Um, and she had a very, very dark, very dystopian view of pornography. Um, in which, I mean, the way she depicts it is that it was as if women didn't in any way choose to be part of the porn industry, uh, weren't getting paid for it, weren't deriving any benefit from it at all. They were just, it was like they were kidnapped victims who were just being strung up for people's pleasure. And it's not true. It's exactly like you've said. I mean, you know, many women enter the porn industry willingly and um, they use, they, they lever their, their beauty or, you know, perhaps... Um, their their um, sexiness to to make money and to do well and it's a choice that they've made it is a choice that they've made i think that the porn industry is maybe not in all areas i think it's quite highly regulated i think they they, they try to stay away mm. from hiring people who've been trafficked for instance i mean i know that they put a lot of emphasis on making sure people have had like STD examinations. Yeah. Well, once um, again, it's a West versus the rest kind of situation. So if, if you're in the West, you're 100% right. It's very regulated uh, to the point now that um, I think it was California that passed rules that you, you can't even film um, pornographic uh, se- any acts uh, without uh, the male wearing a condom. Um, yes. So, uh, you know, that's not a rule everywhere, and I actually, they probably will lose uh, some of the production te- teams from, from California that will go elsewhere. But the point yes. is, is that I think the West does very uh, heavily regulate the kind of the industry. It's a, and it's a professional industry. It's the same as making movies in Hollywood or, or yes. anywhere else. Um, yeah. Uh, yes. But then you go to Africa and Asia and you get sex trafficking. Um, well, that's, that which, which, which is a real problem to look at. And exactly another thing. There is real. There are real problems. Um, yeah, I mean, if, I mean, I, I don't take that view. Um, I don't think that that women who enter the porn industry are um, are all victims, and and that the porn industry exists solely for the humiliation of women, the sexual yeah, humiliation. Yeah, that, so that's of women. what's been said. Yeah. Yeah, that men get off on just sexually humiliating women. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. I think, you know, when, when it comes to porn and and those sorts of you know, the sort of darker, murkier areas of the human psyche. Um, it's complex, and I don't think you can simplify it like that. Um, I, I completely disagree with that view. Uh, just, you know, human beings have to have those outlets, I suppose, to maybe, you know, express the things that you can't usually express in, in everyday society, you know, break down the boundaries of proprietary a little bit. So I, I assume your, your view on, on sex work would be the same. Yes, yes. I mean, I think, you know, I don't want to be a poly, Pollyanna about it. I mean, you know, there's a lot with, with that sort of work, there is danger. So, I mean, I think the women who enter into that have to be pretty streetwise and know what they're getting themselves into. I mean, you know, you get kind of all these stories about, what was her name? Was it Bella, Bella Rouge? What was her name? The, the, the high-end prostitute. 
can't remember. It was like a really famous TV series. Anyway, don't worry about that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do get like high-end prostitutes who are maybe making absolutely millions. But then you get the streetwalkers and, and yeah, they're taking their life in their hands. Um, once again, you know, if someone needs to parlay their 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 body or whatever they need into into making money or to surviving fine um but don't romanticize it it is very dangerous work and i think any woman who gets involved with it you know should know that although although i think you know the dutch have shown um that you can take what and i agree with you what can be a very dangerous line of work um you can take it and make it relatively safe um because you know, firstly, they, they, it's, it's, it's legal, not only decriminalized. Um, so what happens is, is if, uh, the, the, uh, prostitutes in, in, in Holland can rely on the police. If they phone, you know, if something happens to them, they know they can pick up the phone and phone the police. Um, whereas yeah. if you take a country like South Africa, if a prostitute is beaten by one of her clients, uh, she can't phone the police because what is she going to tell them? I was prostituting and yes. uh, this guy, so then she's basically admitting to a crime. Um, yes. and she's, and we know, um, even though that'll probably never be prosecuted, we know she's going to be victimized by those policemen. Um, yes. So yeah. I think I think that's uh, I, I mean I'm quite pro the the concept of at least decriminalization of, of yes. especially of the woman uh, interesting concept I think we've discussed before which was um, the idea of uh, you can decriminalize the woman but uh, you criminalize um, the actual kind of uh, act of of of, uh, of buying sex well you criminalize the John so to speak the the one who, uh, who looks for them but, it's, yes. but but i think that's a ridiculous notion anyway i do yeah. believe most of the negative outcomes of of sex work is due to the fact that it's illegal in many countries so they that's can't rely, they can't rely on state institutions to protect them uh, yes. so so if if you look at what the netherlands have done they said you can be a prostitute uh, you know so what you have you've got buildings which are hotels which are brothels so prostitutes or sex workers, to be really completely correct, they stay in those places, and men come to them. They're not walking around the streets looking for some eager beaver. No, they're staying in one place. The men know where to go, or the women, somehow. They know where to go. They get regularly checked up for for health purposes, uh, but they yes. are they are in their environment. They're not yes. in someone else's environment whatsoever. They can control it. Yeah, absolutely. Never going to eradicate prostitution. It's it's always going to be there. Uh, and you have to just you have to deal with it in a mature way rather than getting hysterical about it um, and trying to criminalize it um, or even um, psychopathologize it uh, when it's actually something that's, that's been around as long as we have. Yeah, the oldest profession. Um, okay, so let's uh, while we talk about the oldest. Oh, you want to you want to continue on the topic quickly? Oh no, no, not at all. I, I wanted to get your opinion. You're sitting in uh, you're sitting in the UK. Um, I find it hilarious because you're a, you're a South African sitting in the UK, right? Yes, dual, uh, nationality. <laughs> dual nationality, but you, 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 you consider yourself South African as well. Um, yeah. It's always interesting to me how South Africans moan about any ex-South African. You know, if, 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 you, if you're from the UK and you go anywhere else, you're always an expat. Um, but in South Africa, if you leave here, then you're ex. You know, you, you're just ex. Uh, you no longer can. And South Africans get very upset about a South African in Australia, for example, having a say about what's going on in South Africa. And I don't really get it. Um, anyone can have an opinion, um, which is the point that we've all had opinions as non-English um, and British citizens about Brexit. Yeah. 
Oh, yes. Um, yes. Now, you're, you are a, a, a British citizen, um, a loyal subject of the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and every morning. <laughs> and, um, you know, you, you are sitting in the middle of this. Uh, we, you know, I don't know where you stand, but uh, Ramon and I are both very pro uh, Brexit. Uh, we think it's overall a good idea. It's not to say that there are zero consequences. I think to both sides there are consequences. I found yeah. the campaigning leading up to it from both sides to be incredibly full of sort of fear mongering. Yes. Um, and um, I found the amplification of uh, amplification of some of the issues to be uh, completely off. For example, um, the media would have you believe that the um, Leave campaign's immigration views were uh, aligned, everyone aligned with Nigel Farage, who basically hates anyone who's uh, not like him. Pretty much, he he isn't a, a particularly nice fellow, um, at least from what I can tell. Uh, but it, but if you listen to someone like Boris Johnson. Um, he says he's not against immigration. He just wants some controls on immigration. And being part of the EU means you're not allowed to have your own yeah. control as a country. So um, that's just one of the examples. Where do you kind of stand on the issue? Uh, tell us a little bit about the sort of hysteria following Brexit. Are you wearing a safety pin? Uh, <laughs> uh, um, you know, because this, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, those who are against the racism that has come out post-Brexit, of which there's been very little, um, ha- are now wearing a safety pin to show their solidarity with people who are, you know, um, brown uh, <laughs> or Latvian or who knows what. Um, so, yeah, just give, give us uh, your insights, your feelings, etc. Oh gosh. Well, I mean, I was, I was pro-Brexit. Um, I did listen to your conversation with Gareth Van Onselen, um, and his, the reasons he gave for not, uh, supporting that position. I thought he was quite sensible. I think that the other side does have some, some sensible views. Uh, I think it's, it's ultimately a good thing. Um, there's going to be short-term pain for sure. Um, but ultimately in the long term, I think England regaining her sovereignty can only be a good thing. Uh, nations need to have ultimate say over their own affairs. Uh, how can you possibly give that up? Um, it's been very tense, extremely tense in this country, uh, very, very divided. People have fallen out with friends and family members, depending on the way they voted. Um, no one, I mean, the markets didn't predict a leave victory. So I think a lot of people went to bed on Thursday evening expecting a remain win. And then they woke up to yeah. basically well, well, Nigel Farage's well, smiling face. Well, that's the thing about and markets. I mean, speculation is uh, is how it works. So you speculate which way it'll go. If you speculate wrong, you lose. Uh, so they yes. all speculated you would remain, and then you left. And so obviously the markets had to turn. Um, yes, but anyway, they did. sorry they to interrupt. Created. No, no, no. It's absolutely true. Um, yeah, so I mean, it was it was just shock. I think on the on the part of of the remainers. Um, I mean, like, like shock and horror. Uh, Facebook was, I mean, people I've, I've never even known to express political opinions before were just howling on, on Facebook about how awful it was. I mean, every type of anti-democratic sentiment you could possibly think of, it just all came out. You know, people would say stuff like, how can the general public have been allowed to decide something like this? It's like, well, are you <laughs> part of the general public? Um, it was stupid people did this. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the it was, elderly it was, did this. The elderly did this. You know, how dare they steal my future? Um, one of the interesting 
about that actually though is that the, the elderly voted in great numbers for leave but in the 1970s when we voted to join the common market they were the age group who voted in the highest numbers to join the common market yeah. so they've changed their minds um, well, i think it's because because of wisdom wisdom and also i think they felt fooled because it was just meant to be a free trading agreement but ever since then it's become political and legal union and britain's just just seen her sovereignty just drift away from her um and yes absolutely i mean pretty much everyone i know who's 80 plus is pretty wise i mean a lot more wise than some 21 year old i mean I, i was listening to a group of girls on the train talk about brexit and my head just hurt i mean you know it's just nonsense like complete illogical nonsense <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Jamey from um, uh, Summer Heights High, like listening to her and her friends discuss politics. You know, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, you know, these are the same people who want safe spaces and hashtag kill the white men and you know get pissed in Marbella, moaning about the future. I was like, what? <laughs> you, you, have, you have an art degree from some third-rate university, and you know, you you bitter that no one's going to pay you millions of pounds for whatever shit you you know you put out as art and now you're saying yeah your future's ruined i mean come on <laughs> so so i mean it's it's still relatively fresh um in terms of when we're recording Freshest this word. um yeah um when by the time the listeners hear this it'll be close to sort of mid july um yes. is sort of some uh, reason starting to creep back in um are people kind of going okay i mean even today we've seen the footsie has recovered uh, perfectly yeah. in fact it's back uh, better than it was before yeah. brexit a point to be made about that in fairness is that the pound has lost a bit of ground so um yeah. your relative gains on the footsie will be uh, you know less because your currency is not as valuable say in dollar terms um yes. but but are, are people starting to go okay look we don't like the result but um you know this this the, the concept that the entire o island is sinking into the ocean let's not you know overplay this um and we'll be okay and yeah this will be a problem but we're going to set up new trade agreements and we're we're going to yeah. we're going to still be able to travel i mean the 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 thing about oh you're going to need a visa to go to europe i mean canadians don't need a visa to go to europe yeah. for goodness sake so um has, has some of that started to sink in or is it still very irrational um not really i think it's going to take a bit of time i think people also like we were saying earlier are in echo chambers so i mean they're not really listening to any other arguments other than the ones that they probably had before and in some circles it's just panic i mean just like you just read the guardian exclusively it's pretty much panic i mean it's just that this is the worst possible thing to have happened Yeah. Um I think with the economics of it, it I mean they're going to be proved over the long term. There's just no way in a week that that, that argument can have been yeah. have been proved. Um we'll have to see there's still some challenges. Uh the leave campaign now or rather the people who are going to take over um in the conservative party and are going to be leading this. I mean they have a lot they need to prove. Uh, uh, still do you think uh, that'll be Boris Johnson? think so i think so unless unless the conservative party you know plots something at the massive against him but i think he has the, the, the biggest mandate for sure i mean he led this campaign to victory he's extremely popular with the people um and corbin is he going to is he going to cuz he's got no support but he's refusing to leave he's like the jacob zuma of, of the united kingdom 
Yes. Though with with Corbyn, I mean, he's closer to the to his base on the issue of Brexit because he was actually he's always been very anti EU uh, historically. But then he agreed to campaign for Remain because the Labour Party wanted him to. Um, he's actually closer to the base. He's actually closer to to his voters on the issue that, than his party is. His party are completely out of touch. The Labour yeah. Party are done. Yeah. They are done. They don't represent the working class anymore. Um, I don't know if he can possibly survive, though. I mean, if, if none of your colleagues have any faith in you whatsoever, then I don't see yeah. how you can survive. I don't know what the Labour Party's ultimate future is going to be. They seem to have contempt for the working class. I mean, it was the working class who voted in in huge numbers for Brexit, and they just think it's the worst thing ever. That it's been it's been a mistake. I don't know how those two are going to reconcile over time. Yeah, I don't they, know what they, they want to re- represent the working class, but they think the, rep- the working class are all idiots. They do, they do, and they genuinely do. I mean, all the things that the working class value, um, they do not value. That they, they look upon it with, with scorn. Um, I mean, there's just. I mean, I've read an article in the, in the Guardian uh, talking about um, why do we need democracy? It was something like that, you know. I mean, it's just like all these very snobbish colours are starting to shine through now after this this result. Um, yeah, I th- I think it's a good thing. I, I do. I, I mean, I'm I'm hopeful about the future. The one thing that worries me though is just the EU. Um, in terms of, of negotiating trade agreements. I, I wonder if they're going to play serious hardball, if they're not going to give Britain access to the single market, you know, because that will be a problem. That, that will be a huge, huge problem if they don't. Um, yeah, Merkel so Mer- take... has kind of made those noises. I know, I know. Well, one thing that you, you hear, which is just, it's kind of disturbing, actually, they say they don't want the contagion to spread, as if democracy is a disease. Um, no, but they do believe that. They're a bunch of Marxists at the top there of the EU Commission. They are, it's not a surprise. Are. No. I mean, it could have been a beautiful idea, this whole idea of this, this free trading um, organization. But it, it just hasn't turned out like that. It's just this very bureaucratic, bureaucratic sclerotic, um, obsessed with regulation um, institution. And, yeah. and I think it's... It's, it's, it's bad for change. It's bad for progress. It tries to, it tries to perpetuate an eternal status quo. Um, it doesn't let countries express their own unique identity. Uh, it needed this. It needed this, this big, this big shock. I think a lot of other countries would like to have referendums. Yeah. Indeed. All right, Candice. Well, uh, unfortunately, we are completely out of time. Okay. We actually went a bit over time, but it was worth it. Yeah, pleasure talking okay, to good. you, really. Oh, good, good. I hope it was a good discussion. Well, 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 we'll let you know. We'll, based on the hate mail we receive, uh, <laughs> the more the better. Then you, then you know you did well. I'm just saying. Well, these 18-year-olds idiots. I'm just saying this <laughs> yeah. is the first time that I speak to someone on social media who I haven't met, uh, who's a lady, and he hasn't called me a bigot or a, a misogynist. <laughs> so progress has been made today yes you need to try harder <laughs> <laughs> thank you so oh, much yeah, thank you candace okay bye 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 all right so uh, ramon that's uh, that's that's an interesting show uh, it was indeed we went yeah, to a lot of places i didn't expect to um especially rape like half an hour uh, but i think it was important to know that rape is a massive problem in this country it's yeah it's a massive crime in many other countries, I, personally, I don't know anyone who says, "Yeah, rape is cool." I never met them, and yeah, I don't, yeah. and I don't so, think there are so the, ra- the rape culture whereby we're all, you know, men essentially. Most yes. men are, are are basically rapists. 
Um, I, I don't. I, I have many male friends. I don't know any of them to be rapists. Yeah, but you don't have any female friends, so maybe just um, yeah, look at that. Why don't you have female friends, Jonathan? I've got plenty of female friends. Oh right, okay. <laughs> but uh, no, interesting conversation. I'm happy to speak to Candice. She is. Uh, we forgot to say she's available on Twitter. Ah yes, uh, we've got to, we've got to find her, 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 her channels. Yes. So her website is Imagine Athena. A great blog, by the way. I read is that it. ImagineAthena.com. Uh, I believe so. I have no idea. We're so professional on this show. Um, and then on Twitter, she's at Candice Carey. So Candice. C-A-R-R-I-E Candice Carey And in her bio you can see Imagine Athena over there And there's actually a lot of great pieces on there About Brexit, about uh, Identity politics, about economics Philosophy, that sort of stuff So there we go That's where you'll find her And as always, thank you for listening We are on a roll Last week was Gadsad Next week, we're not too sure yet, but um, no doubt. Confirming the guest. No doubt will be a great guest. And there you go. Okay, one last appeal. So usually at this point, I tell you about all our social media accounts. Uh, and uh, as Ramon vapes for the first time in an hour. Um, so uh, usually, usually, as I say, I tell you about all the social media accounts, uh, where you can find us, uh, and to please like us on uh, Facebook. Uh, give us a rating on, on uh, and a review on iTunes. We'd like you to do all that stuff, guys. But at the end of the day, you're, you're listening to this podcast. Um, and we really want to expand it. And the way we're going to do that is really by word of mouth. So if you know someone who's not listening to podcasts, not just ours, there's lots of good stuff out there. Uh, get them into podcasts. It will broaden their horizons, expand their mind, uh, and make them think about things. And that's all we're trying to do, make people think about things, whether you agree, whether you disagree. Catch you next time on the Renegade Reports. Central.com